We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Brandon Billups, and I'm the high school pastor here at Rolling Hills. And as we've been in our current series, Celebrating God's Goodness, we've been exploring the biblical perspective on celebration thankfulness, and God's goodness. We were created to be representatives of Christ here on earth, and that's why it's so incredibly important that our lives reflect our maker. Because when we live differently, we ultimately are showing God's goodness through the way we live. So dive into 1 Thessalonians 4 with us today as we learn what God's word has to say on this very topic. We are so glad you're here. Good morning. Couldn't really wait for the video to end. I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm excited to get started today. We are kind of coming in for a landing. We've got a a Thanksgiving celebration in our service next week, but we're coming in for a landing on this whole series called Celebrating God's Goodness. It's it's an overview of the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament, and if you've been with us for any length of time, particularly if you came with us from over at Belmont University, you know that we've been in a three-year initiative for all of our campuses to grow and, and to be resourced, and we have seen God show up in more than incredible ways throughout this whole season. We talked a lot about it last week. We'll celebrate more of it next week. But right now, we're really looking today at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, And I'm excited to open that with you together. We know that it's a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul um, to a group of people, believers that he reached and to a church that he started. And then he continues on his missionary journey. And the cool thing about Paul is he stays in touch with the people that he leaves behind. And he writes over and over again in all of his letters, hey, I long to be back with you. I long to come and see you again. Grownups come back. And every time I read these, I'm thinking to myself, it's kind of like when we as parents have babysitters. We, we drop our kids off with someone or somebody comes to the house to take care of them. We step out for a movie theater date night that cost us over $100 and then we come home and we're so excited to be back with them. And you always want to hear these words, whether it's dropping them off at kids ministry or taking them to school or letting them go away to sleepaway camp. You always want to hear from any of the people that you leave them with, oh, they were awesome. And you know that if they're tiny little heathens running around your house all day long, at least they were good for someone else. Like, as much as you long for them to be obedient when they're under your care, you long even more for them to be obedient when they're in somebody else's hands because you'd feel bad if they didn't. And Paul writes that in the book of Philippians. He he literally says to the people, since you obeyed in my presence, even much more in my absence. Do you get it? Like it's this idea of like, hey, you were following Jesus and you were checked into the word and you were dialed into the spirit when I was with you and then I left. So the real test of your faith is, can you continue? Can you remain strong? Can you love Jesus and be obedient to his word and submit to his authority when I'm not with you to tell you what to do? That's what we long for. And we send our kids off later in life into college and adulthood and what we really hope is that the foundation is sure. So he writes a letter to 1 Thessalonians. And it was accompanied by a visit from Timothy, his apprentice, his protege. And Timothy reports back to him, hey, they're doing good, boss. They're they're sticking with your word. They're remaining faithful, even faithful in the midst of challenges and persecutions and difficulties. And that is music to Paul's ears that the people are continuing to obey. When our girls were little, we probably should have kept this going with number three when the little boy came. Um, But, you know, sometimes you just don't parent your last kid because you were so busy parenting the other two and you forget. It just happens, the baby of the family, right? We used to make our girls finish this sentence. Girls, what do you do after you listen? And they would say, obey. 
Because hearing it isn't as good as actually doing it, right? Jesus said that. He talked to his followers and he said, hey, like, blessed are you when you not only like hear these words of mine, but you do what they say. Then you're like a person who built his house on the rock. And that's a really good thing. When the rains came and the waters rose and it was really, really difficult, your house stood. It's not enough to just be hearers, James writes, of the word. You have to do what it says. Girls, what do you do after you listen? obey. I used to have them in my office from time to time when Susan was um, working or doing other things, and I would literally be sitting at my desk doing some work, and we lived in these cubicle spaces where they could run amok all over the office space, and I would literally take some imaginary spray glue, and I would go down to the floor like this. Girls, you're stuck to that spot until I release you, and they would literally stay there, and other staff members would walk by and they're like, how do you get them to do that? And I would say, oh, spray glue, do you need a can? Because all you have to do is this, and your kids will stay put, but some of their kids wouldn't stay put. So apparently their spray glue was defective and had been recalled. Sorry about it, but our, our girls would literally stay put. I remember at a really young age, Nora Blake, our oldest, she was a screamer. Holy moly, it was loud. And we had no issues putting our oldest to bed, laying her down, making her sleep all night. And so it was amazing. So when the second kid comes along and we're like, hey, we got this. We, in fact, did not have this because she cried a lot all night long, like 15-minute intervals of sleep. And then she would wake up and we'd have to go in there, put her down. And I would be taking my turns in the middle of the night and I'd be patting her on the bottom, walking her around, doing like the parent shuffle like you all do. And I'm literally patting her and I'm, I'm speaking these words into her little life. It was not a Bible verse, although it should be. Daddy's gonna win. You can cry all you want to, but daddy's gonna win. One day when you're 13, I'm gonna take away something that's really important to you and ground you for about two weeks. And you're going to say, Dad, why am I being grounded? And I would say, because when you were three months old, you did this to me. <laughs> and I've been saving up. Daddy's going to win. You don't know when it's going to come. You have no idea the day or the hour or the moment. Sweet girl, you can scream all you want. Daddy's going to win. We can scream all we want. And we do not know the day or the hour or the moment it's going to happen. But he is going to win. And so he consoles us and he reminds us no matter how crazy we get, he's going to win. So, so we land in 1 Thessalonians 4 this morning and, and, and Paul writes in the middle of a passage that is so clearly about obedience. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. It, it's, he has gotten a really good report from the babysitter. They have actually been living according to the way that Paul taught them how to live, and you're just like, yes, as a parent, they obeyed. Yes, they said please and thank you. Yes, they cleaned up after themselves. Yes, they were obedient. And the, like, you're so excited. Like, as in fact you are now living. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. If you're a person who likes to underline words in your Bibles and circle things in your margins, you can, you can underline that word please. Like what it means to live according to the nature that we might please God. You can underline or circle that word authority that we are living under the authority of Jesus Christ. But, but make no mistake, we never want to be unclear about this. We do not aim to please God in order to earn salvation. That would be works-based. 
We do not live in order to please God so that we might somehow earn his favor or guarantee that salvation, but ultimately just to enjoy him. We literally live in in an effort to please God according to the authority of his word and his son Jesus Christ in our life simply to enjoy him. Psalm chapter 16, the psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life. Hey, you told me how to live. I'm going to do that. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. I'm going to be excited about that. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. That word pleasures in in the Old Testament is naim. And it literally means pleasant or delightful or or sweet or lovely or agreeable. Like it's a a good thing. It's delightful. It's lovely. It's beautiful. It also means um, sweet sounding singing. So we like, we could break into a song right now and it would be naive because we're excited about being in the presence of God. John Piper writes about the idea of Christian hedonism. And we're like, hedonism, what? That's like just people going out and doing all kinds of crazy debauchery that makes them feel good in any kind of moment. But the idea of Christian hedonism supports the understanding that you and I are really just after what makes us feel good in life, right? People are really just after what makes them feel good in life, what makes them feel happy in life, what gives them pleasure in life. You and I, we can acknowledge, we can nod our heads up and down and say, yep, you're right. I just really want to feed my feelings because chocolate tastes so, so good. I just really, really, really want to have another cup of coffee because it is oh so soothing and it keeps me awake and gets me excited about the day. Like we are really just after the things in life that make us happy and make us feel good. And when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is because you have somehow acknowledged that the thing that makes you feel the best, the thing that makes you experience the most, the thing that brings you the absolute most joy is Jesus. So you're just like, give me a second helping of him. Christian hedonism is the idea that we are so eat up with Jesus and love him so, so much. We want more of him. And Piper writes that God is most glorified in us, and we want God to get glory when we are the most satisfied by him. And so I I look at my kids, I'm like, did they obey? Because they were afraid of me? Or was it because they were in awe of me and my magical powers with imaginary spray glue? We're not obeying God because we're afraid of him with some sort of terror. We're obeying God because we're in awe of him because he's just that good and we want to enjoy him that much more. Charles Spurgeon writes, we, we fear not God because of any compulsion Our faith is no fetter. It's not holding us back. Our profession is no bondage. We are not dragged to holiness nor driven by duty. No, piety is our pleasure. Our hope is our happiness. Our duty is our delight. Paul had already written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that we're not living in order to please other people, but we're trying to please God. He wrote, listen, those prophets, those people of old, those people that did negative things, like literally they displease God and everyone else. Our aim is to please God and to live according to the life that Paul describes for us, to follow Jesus as our Savior and this word as our guide, because it literally does bring him glory, but it also brings us pleasure to be in the center of God's will and trusting and engaging him more than anything else. And then we get to experience what he writes about in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, this idea of immeasurably more. This immeasurably more beyond what you can ask for or imagine thing that God wants to do in your life starts within. 
The immeasurably more thing that God wants to do in your life starts with in. He says, literally, in Ephesians, hey, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This idea of more is beyond or exceeding anything that we can imagine. And that's what God's done for us, church. That's what he's provided for us. That's what he continues to do, and it starts in us, and it's meant to be ever-increasing more and more. We get that twice in this passage of Scripture. This idea that we're going to live in order to please God more and more, that's verse 1. This idea, if you skip down to verse 9 and 10, this idea that we're going to love each other more and more. The whole purpose of this life is that everything that we do to honor Him would be more and more. The Christian journey would be up and to the right, increasing in every level. Faith more and more. Love more and more. Hope more and more. Joy more and more. Peace more and more. Oh, help me, we need that right now. Y'all, I need more peace right now at... 40 million years old than I did at 20 million years old. I need it more, and it's harder to come by. We need that in our lives. Philippians 1.6, he writes, being confident in this, that he, that's Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's more and more and more. Ultimately, it's God's design for us that we would be sanctified, that we would be set apart for God's special use. If you continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it literally says, it is God's will. I mean, we didn't make this up, it just says it. Paul writes, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then he gives them a whole list of like sins that they should avoid and attitudes that they should have and things that they should not engage in. I remember, and I think it's Elizabeth Elliot. And her husband was martyred for their faith on a missionary journey in South America. And then she actually went back to the same people that killed him and and led them to Jesus. And she continued to write these amazing books for all of her life. A lot of people have read them, Bible studies and and even fiction books about the the faith of God. And there was one story that she told, and I'm probably going to butcher it. I apologize, Elizabeth. There was this idea of like a young girl coming to the house of her older neighbor next door. And she comes in and she's so put out and she's so upset with her parents because they, they won't extend some of the boundaries that she has. They won't allow some of extra limits. Like if we were to put it in modern day application, they won't let her have TikTok. They won't let her hang out with her friends past 10 o'clock. Like there's all these things that like her parents just won't do. And all the while this elder lady, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just amplifying the story. She's just, she's cutting a piece of pie that she just made fresh out of the oven. She's like, well, here, sweetie, just sit down and tell me all about it, and we're just going to have a piece of pie. Smelled real good. She was excited about it. And and so they're sitting there getting ready to eat, and then right before she serves the pie, she pulls out her fine china, and she stacks it up, and she's thinking, oh, well, this is really nice. How sweet. She's trying to make me feel better. She's going to put that piece of pie on that plate. She's going to pass me a fork, and then the lady goes over, and she reaches in her trash can from the night before and pulls out a paper plate that still has the residue of the meat and probably the ketchup that was on it and a dirty fork, and she goes and sets it down and puts that piece of pie on that plate and passes it to the young girl. You get the point. There's this idea of being set apart for special use and those boundaries and those limits and those sanctifying principles that come from God's word. We don't want to be the dirty plate that comes out of the trash can. We want to be the fine china that comes out of the cabinet 
reserved for God's special use in the world. And the beauty of the gospel is that the the great glory of our God can literally pull a trashy paper plate from the dump and transform it into the most beautiful piece of crystal or china. But once we're there, let's just stay that way. Let's continue to walk and live in a way that pleases God. The whole goal in this life is sanctification. He he wrote to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, sanctified, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. What we present to the world is the light and light of Jesus Christ. Let's put it on a clean, nice plate. It's this idea that we live sanctified lives. The celebrated result of what we have in this life, it it might be transformation, because God can literally change us from the inside out. He can literally clean us up from all of yesterday's filth. But the overriding principle is always submission. If you skip down, uh, I'll, I'll actually start in verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life holy life, a set-apart life. Therefore, verse 8, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I swore that I would never be one of those parents that looked at my kids and said to them, because I said so, whenever they asked me why about a certain rule or why about an activity, because I said so. And then I realized that that was actually one of the most godly things that I could ever say to them, because I am the authority that God has placed in their life on this earth that is supposed to best represent to them the relationship that we have with our eternal God, the Father. And so sometimes the only answer that he gives me is Nick Allen, because I said so. And that's the only answer I need. The only answer I need from God is because he said so. The only answer I deserve from God is really no answer at all, but the only answer that he sometimes grants is, listen, because I said so, and because what I have for you is good, just listen to me. Paul writes that the authority that he was given to give them this word came from Jesus Christ, and he says if you're not going to follow this word and these instructions, then you're not denying human authority, but you're refusing to submit to godly authority. Anybody who rejects this word, these letters, these moments is literally rejecting following God in their lives. Augustine, I've said this quote a hundred times in sermons and in opportunities to speak and to lead in Bible study and to write things down for people that need to hear them. He literally said that if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, because y'all, there's some parts of this that I think are hard. There's some parts of this that do not mesh with our modern day sensibilities of what it means to love other people and conduct ourselves with grace. There's some parts of this that are really, really hard and difficult to understand and difficult to swallow. And the great God of this universe looks at us when we say, why is this in here? And says, because I said so, and because I know what's best for you. If we somehow have determined in our lives that we are only going to believe what we like about this word, what's easy about this word, what's convenient about this word, what feels good about this word, this word and reject the things that we don't like, that don't feel good, that we don't understand. It's not the gospel. It's not the word that we believe. It's ourselves. And we have put ourselves in a seat of authority that we do not deserve to sit in and we are not qualified to sit in. We have to trust God. 
This idea of authority matters so much in our understanding of the gospel and our willingness to trust Jesus. It does. But I'm not really worried. I'm not, not, not worried about raising people who have no faith. I'm, I'm far more worried about leading people who cannot reconcile authority in their lives. Faith, I believe that God created this world and everything in it and that he ultimately rules over it. I, I believe that Jesus Christ, his only son, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, called disciples to follow him, literally walked around this earth for three years with skin on, eating and drinking and having fun with his friends, but also leading people, teaching people, investing in people, healing people. I believe that when the Bible says he walked on water, he actually walked across water. I believe that when the Bible says he cast out a demon, he actually cast out a demon. I, I believe that when the Bible says he made a man who was born blind be able to see, then he actually made a man who was born blind be able to see. I believe that he was arrested and tried and wrongly convicted and hung on a cross to die in my place, and I believe that three days later the tomb was empty because he rose again. I believe that for a couple, like a month and a half, he hung out with his disciples and followers here on this earth, and then they witnessed as he ascended into heaven and has gone to sit at the right hand of the throne of God and waits for the day when he is given the call by God Almighty himself to return to come and get us. That's the essence of what we believe in faith. I also believe that anyone who believes in him won't endure an eternal death that's separated from God, but enjoy fully the peace of his glorious presence for all time. But am I with all of that faith and all of that belief, willing to surrender every single aspect of my life to the authority of his teaching? Not without a few stipulations. <laughs> I've got some negotiations, God. And, and see, therein lies the problem. It's not a faith issue, it's an authority issue, and it always has been. See, Adam and Eve believed in God. They took a walk with him yesterday. But, but somehow or another, they knew that he was real and they knew that he loved them. Their disobedience wasn't necessarily a faith issue, it was an authority issue. Are we better off knowing all the things that he knows? Is it better to submit to him or to be like him? And the problem continued to persist. Every opportunity that Israel had over and over and over again was rarely a faith issue. They never stopped believing in the God of Abraham. They just decided that it was in their best interest not to follow the God of Abraham. I never get really worried that any of us is staring down the path of Satan worship. I just don't worry that y'all are going to all of a sudden start, like, killing cats and drinking blood and wearing pentagrams and worshiping some nature goddess. Like, I, I'm, I'm not worried about that. Please don't give me a reason to. But I'm concerned that we all have an authority issue in our lives. And whether or not we will put God on the throne of our lives, whether or not we feel like we should do better to orchestrate systems of authority in this world that we're in charge of, the idea of self, or whether or not we're going to fully submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus. And it is a destructive self-centeredness that will crush our Christ-like witness. I'm not worried about you not believing. 
I'm worried about you not following and about you being rendered useless because we want to be useful. More than anything else, we want to be used by God to accomplish his will. And so more than anything else, Paul talks about it and writes about it. The idea of love everyone always has to be our increasing ethic. In 4.10 it says, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. You're, you're doing a good job loving other people, guys. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. What we've seen in our world is an increasing ethic that's meant to divide us, and it's a lie that continues to be told to us, and it starts to dilute and even destroy our witness in the world. It's this, that to love somebody means that you agree with everything that they believe or do. And if you disagree with someone on anything, it means that you fear them or hate them. Justin Gaboni, who's a writer for a campaign called the AND Campaign, which is the biblical understanding that we can be compassionate and stand on our convictions. That we can compassionately love people who are far from Jesus and stand on the convictions that come from this gospel word. He says that truly loving your neighbor doesn't demand agreement with their beliefs or affirmation of their behavior. That I can love you and not believe what you believe. I can love you and not condone what you do. It does, however, demand acknowledgement of their human dignity, often through social action. It's this idea that we can be compassionate and convicted. It's not an either-or endeavor. So Paul writes, hey, we want to make you increase. He wrote that in chapter 3. We talked about it last week. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. More than anything else in this world that we live in, if we are going to maintain our witness, our ethic of love has to continually be on the increase. And the only way that our ethic of love will continually be on the increase in an appropriate way is if we are willing to submit to the authority of this word in every single area of our lives more than anything else. The idea of love, everyone always, must be our increasing ethic, not for our attention, not for the attention that we get, but for gospel growth and each other's encouragement. If you skip down to verse 11, he writes, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's hard, y'all, because of Facebook and Twitter. And we have somehow been conditioned to believe that if we haven't expressed loudly our opinion on everything, the world hasn't heard everything that it needs to hear. Be reminded of this. The world always needs less of us and more of Jesus. That's the increasing ethic that we want to be on the side of. So make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should, Paul writes, mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may, what? Win the respect of outsiders so you will not be dependent on anybody. That's the way that Paul aimed to live his life, to continue winning the respect of outsiders so that they would know what it means to come to faith in Jesus. We don't do this because of our attention 
We do this because of gospel growth. And then he goes on to say, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 12 through 17, if you go through and read that whole passage, it literally talks about end times. It talks about the day that the Lord comes back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and into chapter 5 give us an understanding of what's going to happen in the end because people in Thessalonica and other believers in the first century were very concerned with what the difference was going to be between those who had already died with faith in Jesus and those who continued to live with faith in Jesus when Christ returned. And their understanding from the words of Jesus and from the writings of Paul was that Jesus was going to come come back soon, like first or second century soon. So they were anticipating the return of Jesus any day. And now we know that we've gone thousands of years into the future and we are still living as a people who get to assume that God is going to come back and that Jesus could literally return at any day. You don't know when it's going to happen. But daddy's going to win. Jesus will come back. Jesus will return. And so Paul writes to them to help them understand the difference between those who had already died and those who were left alive. And what we do not know about the day or the time or even the order, we can rest assured that God is going to win. And I just want to be on the side of the winner. I want to express faith in the winner. And then I want to submit my life to the authority of the winner and his word. I'm not as concerned about your faith in Jesus. Kids, little Alan children, I'm not as concerned about your faith in Jesus. I know that you trusted him for salvation, and I I know that you believe he is who this word says he is. But I'm always praying and I'm always concerned about your humble submission to the authority of this word, whether you like it or not. This is what's good for you. And so if God sprays down the glue, you sit there. If God says go to China, you go there. If God says whatever God says, that's what we do. If his word is hard, we still follow it. If his word is confusing, we seek to understand it. We submit our lives to the authority of Jesus. That's not only how we please him, but that's how we live a life of pleasure ourselves under his authority and under his care. Because no matter how much of a mess we make things, he loves us and he knows what's best for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for the chance to be in this place and to look at your word and to understand better what it says. And Father, I do pray that we would be a people who understand what it means to live a life of expressed faith. Telling you, Jesus, that we believe in you but then also affirming that we want to follow you. We want to submit to you. We want to live according to your will and your ways and enjoy all the earthly and eternal pleasures that go with it. And so, Father, today we are a people who say, oops, we messed up. God, we are sorry. We repent and turn away from that as a people who want nothing more than to live according to your word. We want to live in such a way as to please you, not to earn your gift of salvation that was freely given through Jesus, but to live a life of complete and total pleasure 
in you, following your word. It's in the name of your precious son and by the power of your Holy Spirit that we pray today. Amen. Thank y'all for being here today. I think church is fun, and I think it's beautiful weather outside today, even though it's chilly. It's warm in here, and it's warm to see all of you. We are going to enter into a time of giving, and this is when ushers come forward and receive tithes and offerings. People that call Rolling Hills Community Church their home base will give back to God's work here, and that's what's been happening for all of our years at Belmont and our years here on Park Avenue in Charlotte. This is what God is continuing to do, and so we faithfully give knowing that he's been so abundantly good to us. If you're a first-time guest this morning, one, I hope to meet you, and two, we would really just love for you to deposit that connection card when the baskets pass so that we can connect with you later in the week and tell you more about the life of our church. Now, as the baskets are passed, well, first I'm gonna pray. But when I say amen, and as the baskets are passed, we're going to watch a video. And some of you know exactly what this is. It's the wrapping station video. Um, And that's because on Black Friday, stop, okay? On Black Friday, um, all the way up until December the 23rd, um, all of the Rolling Hills campuses take shifts um, to work and wrap people's presents for free in the Cool Springs Galleria. And so starting today, you can begin signing up online to take a shift with your friends or your family or your community group. Um, and it's our way of giving something free to the community, service in a tangible way, because it breaks down some of the barriers that people have against the gospel. And it might be that somebody walks through that line and hears about Jesus and hears about a local church that loves them well and decides to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ this Christmas, and there's no better gift than we could give or receive, and so we're excited about that. So we would love for you to watch the video because it's a whole lot of fun. You'll recognize the song, it's Dolly Parton, and you'll be really excited um, to see the opportunity at the end where you can sign up to serve in a really incredible way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to give and the opportunities that you provide us to serve. We want to be your hands and feet. We want to be useful tools sanctified, set apart, that you have reserved for the special work that you want to do in the world so that people can come to experience your son Jesus. It's to him that we give, to him that we submit our lives, and him that we celebrate today. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History, Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.